0: Well today uh, we're talking about vision and um, I think today in our, our world when we think of vision uh, we think of visionary leaders and uh, if you've all of us have probably been exposed on some level to uh, to this idea that we need we need a vision you might have in your uh, in the organization you work for a company even uh, school, or whatever else it might be. Uh, maybe you've been part of a exercise where you helped develop the vision statement, or you went over the vision or mission statement of the, of the organization. Or, or maybe you've been through sort of professional coaching and training and leadership development, and, and uh, let people talk to you about having a, a personal vision statement or a personal mission statement. We're very, we're in a culture that's very much vision driven. If you think for a minute about some individuals um, that are very vision-driven in our world today. Uh, There's lots of people that could come to mind. Um, Two this morning that sort of come to mind immediately to me, one is a guy by the name of Elon Musk. You've heard of Elon Musk? If you haven't, you know of him anyway, even if you haven't really heard of him. Um, But chances are you have. He started out with a little idea about how to have safe transactions online, financial transactions online. And uh, he developed a little thing called PayPal and he made, you know, a little bit of money from that, and, uh, and from some of the money he made from PayPal, he decided to invest in something and put his energies into something that he really believed in, and that was renewable energy. He just thought the way we conceive of energy and the way we're using energy is just all messed up, and so he said, I'm going to start a company, he started Tesla Motorcars. Uh, and so what, what would it be like if we had electric vehicles? and, uh, and then he realized that, you know, if we're going to have truly renewable sources of energy, then, then we need battery capacity to be able to hold that kind of energy. And so, he started developing uh, and, uh, batteries and spending, you know, millions and billions of dollars on developing new battery systems. And, and then they developed uh, roof tiles, solar roof tiles, uh, so that people could actually put those on their house and, and, and run their houses off of solar energy. Pretty visionary. But that he didn't kind of stop there because actually he said, you know, I, I think uh, we actually are going to need to look beyond this world, this earth that we live on. And, uh, and so he started a thing called SpaceX. And he said, Let's, what it would it be like if we didn't just shoot rockets into space and sort of be one-time use? What if, we, uh, what if we developed rockets that could go into space, deliver things, and then come back and land back on earth? And, uh, and, and not, that's just not sort of enough, but we need to go to Mars, And so he uh, started plans to take us to Mars, and uh, a few months ago, in a sort of grand uh, thing, he shot one of his Tesla cars towards Mars and set it into trajectory to go to Mars. They miscalculated just slightly, and it's not going to quite get there to Mars, but it was still a great image of this Tesla car being released from from a rocket headed to Mars. But that wasn't enough of a vision for him, going to Mars, creating new renewable sort of energy and thinking about that and going to Mars. Then he developed this thing called the Boring Company, not like I'm really bored like you might be right now, but no, like to bore a big hole. And, uh, and he has this idea of, of uh, how we could transport people. And his vision is, one of his visions, is that, um, that we would be able to get anywhere on Earth within an hour. That's a pretty amazing sort of vision. And, and the thing is, he, he's taking his resources and his time and his energy and everything that he has in order to see those, that vision come about. We'd kind of call that sort of vision a preferred future in the most simplest terms. He has a preferred future. He has something of what he thinks the world should be like, and he's willing to get there. Jeff Bezos is another guy who's like that. He started a little company called Amazon. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but we could order something right now. In two hours, we could have somebody at our door right here delivering it to us. And his whole desire is that it would be a consumer-centric corporation where anything you could go and discover or find anything that you could want online, and you could have one place that you could go and find it. And he's doing a pretty good job at disrupting the whole world with that right now. Visionary people, people with an idea of a preferred future and willing to take everything they have and invest it and dr- their, their time and energy and resources to try and accomplish it. As we come to talk this morning about vision, that's not the kind of vision we're talking about. It's good. It's nothing, nothing wrong with that. We all should have, you know, some things that, you know, ways we think might, the world might be and want to go in that direction. But today we're looking at a different kind of vision. A vision that isn't our idea of what the future should be like but a vision that comes about because of divine revelation. Because encountering God brings about a revelation and a vision. We've been going through the book of Acts and, uh, and we've been sort of um, looking at different aspects. We've been talking about uh, about this as the living church and some of the different characteristics of us as a church and the church of Jesus and, and some of those characteristics as a church alive. And, and, and one of the sort of subplots that we've been watching along the way is there's been this interaction with um, the followers of Jesus, with the, the Jewish authorities, especially the Sanhedrin We saw Peter and Paul taken in before the Sanhedrin and and arrested and brought before them and and challenged, and and then uh, they were let go. And then we saw all of the apostles together imprisoned and and then released by an angel and then brought back in, and another conversation with the Sanhedrin. And then last week we looked at the life of Stephen, and we saw Stephen again called before the Sanhedrin, and, uh, and ultimately that encounter meant that he was put to death, he was executed. And as we've been sort of watching that trajectory, we last some last week we had all of a sudden a guy show up in the story, Saul, who in the midst of this sort of going back and forth between uh, the powers that be and 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 the first followers of Jesus, um, we have Paul, clear, Saul, clearly on the side of the powers that be. In fact, at Stephen's execution, we have Saul standing to the side, approving of what was going on, and then after the stoning, people coming and laying their coats at Saul's feet. Almost would give us the opinion that Saul was the one maybe put in charge of actually overseeing it, and they were coming back to him saying, we've done our job, and there you go. And today we pick up with Saul, who's now gone back to the high priest, the head of the Sanhedrin, and he's gone back to the high priest to get letters of authority to literally, as Christians now have been spreading out from Jerusalem and having to leave that place because of persecution going on, now Saul has gone and gotten letters to basically say, you can go anywhere you need to, Saul, and go and arrest anybody you find that's a believer of Jesus. He's got a pretty clear trajectory, (laughs) pretty clear path, pretty clear vision of what he thinks the future should look like. And it's in the middle of that that he has this encounter, a vision. On the road to Damascus, all of a sudden, boom, out of seemingly nowhere, a light, and he ends up on the ground and those that are with him end up on the ground. And, and, and as he ends up on the ground, all of a sudden, somebody begins to speak to him. And Paul's response is, who, who exactly are you? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting. He has a divine encounter. Of all the stories in the New Testament, of all the events of the New Testament, outside of the life of Jesus, there's no event in the New Testament that's talked about probably more than this experience this vision, this conversion of Paul. In the book of Acts, we're going to go three different times. Paul is going to tell a full account of what happened to him on the road to Damascus. Three different times in the book of Acts, we're going to get sort of, you know, another sort of going through of an account from Paul of what exactly happened on that road that day. And then numerous other times, he's going to mention it throughout the epistles. He's going to refer back to this moment, this day when he had this heavenly vision. An encounter with God, a divine revelation. Now, there's different ways that we can have divine revelation and, 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 and pictures from, and, and revelation from God. I mean, Paul, is. this is one example. But, but there's actually three, three different types of visions that happen right here in this passage, right? in just we, we read, you probably didn't maybe pick up on it, but there's three different visions that actually happen in this passage. The first is Paul on the road when he sort of knocked off his donkey and has the light and, and in this encounter with Jesus. The next one is a guy by the name of Ananias. Ananias gets a vision from the Lord. The Lord shows up to Ananias and says to him, Ananias… We live, there's a guy in town. His name is Saul. He's down on the street named Straight Street. And, and you need to go down there because he can't see right now. And he's waiting for you to come and lay hands on him so he can be healed. <laughs> the Lord appealed to Ananias in a vision. But there's also another, it seems to be another vision. Because Paul has this encounter on the road. But when the Lord's talking to Ananias, he tells Ananias that Paul has also had a vision that a man named Ananias would come and heal him. It seems like Paul's already had a subsequent vision to the one on the road because he got up from this you know, encounter and was, didn't know that he was going to be blind from it, got led back to Damascus, and somewhere in that period, the Lord spoke to, to, to Paul again, to Saul, telling him that, that, that Ananias would come. So we have these sort of visions sometimes, these revelations from God that are sort of conversion moments where we come to encounter Jesus in a new way and we come to understand who He is. Now probably most of us did not have a conversion experience quite like Paul's. (laughs) But you know what? There's still people today who have visions of Jesus that begin their conversion experience. You've probably heard stories of people who have said... Things like, I had a dream and this man appeared to me in a dream and he was in a robe and he began to talk to me. I've met people that have come to me and said that very thing. I had a dream and I had a picture and this man came to me in in a dream. And could could we talk more about that? I don't know what to make of it exactly. Sometimes that revelation of Jesus comes in other ways. Moments where we sort of come to this reality of just saying, I know, I know he's real. Maybe it's in a message, maybe it's just in a conversation with somebody, maybe it's in prayer, or whatever it is, but we have moments when we feel and we come to this revelation, this moment of saying, I know that it's real. Well, then there's also sort of revelation, divine revelation and vision that comes sometimes that's about teaching us new things. <laughs> Peter has a a vision like that. One day he's up on a housetop, he's uh, up there having a little bit of a rest, and uh, it's about time for for supper, And, and as he's having this rest, all of a sudden he's dreaming of food. You ever do that? You ever have some dreams about food? Yeah, I do occasionally. But this is interesting, because he all of a sudden sees this sheet come down, and on this sheet is really great food that he's not allowed to have. Bacon, mostly. Anybody ever dreamt about bacon? No, okay. Sorry, I want to ask. He has this picture, and, uh, and all of a sudden, all the things, all the food that he's not supposed to eat, there's some prawn on there, there's some bacon on there, there's just all sorts of foods and things that he's not supposed to touch and have, and this vision comes down to him, and he's like, no, I can't eat that. And three different times until finally, the Lord says to him, no, actually, Peter, what I've called holy... You can't call unholy." And the Lord then tells him that there's a man coming to his house right now named Cornelius, and he's not a Jew, he's a Gentile, and he needs to go with him. The Lord's teaching him through revelation, or through an encounter, a divine revelation. He's teaching him. And then there's like the vision we just talked about with Ananias, where the Lord came to Ananias and said, Ananias, I need you to go to this place and heal this man, Just real sort of clear direction. And then we have things like later on for Paul, he'll be on a missionary journey and he'll be sort of wanting to go in one direction and sort of keep trying to go in a direction and he'll just sort of feel resistance. We don't know exactly what it was, but every time he tried to go do it, it just seemed like the doors didn't open. And then a a vision, a man appeared to him, a man from Macedonia and said, come, come here. We need you to come to us. And Paul changes direction and goes to Macedonia because he's had a vision. And these didn't just happen in the New Testament. They still happen today. People we have encounters with God where he reveals himself to us, where he speaks to us, where he shows us. It's not always as dramatic. Sometimes it's just go on with life and we don't really realize that he's actually there trying to reveal something to us and we're sort of slow to catch on. But God still gives us visions. Not visions of a preferred future that we come up with, but a vision and a picture of what He's doing and what He's inviting us into. But you know what? Most of the time, our first re- response to those sorts of things is very similar to what happened with Ananias, and that is not so quick. And the Lord shows up to Ananias and says, Ananias, you know, go down and see Saul, this guy. He's waiting for you, and, and, and you need to go heal him. And Ananias' first response back to God is what? Happily, I'd, I'd love to go. No, his first response is, are you crazy? I don't know if you've been reading the papers, Lord. I don't know if you just saw the report out this morning, but actually the word on the street is that he's got permission to come and put all of us in jail, He's been breathing out fiery threats against all of us. This is not our friend. This is our enemy. This is somebody who isn't to be trusted. Oftentimes when the Lord starts to open our eyes and begins to give direction to us, our first response is, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Fear rises up in us. Doubt rises up in us. Our own sense of insecurity rises up in us. And then the Lord says to Ananias, Ananias, no, actually, I've given him another vision. And he's waiting for a guy by the name of Ananias to come and heal him. In other words, oh, don't worry, you're already on his list. (laughs) But you know, this is one of the beautiful pictures about this story of Paul and this encounter is God's revelation to us is never about our worthiness to receive it. If ever there was somebody who wasn't worthy to receive a divine revelation from God, it was Saul. If you've ever thought, not me, there's no way that God could ever speak and reveal himself to me, well, my answer is, my guess is, you haven't done anything like Saul. I mean, Saul is on his way. Saul was there at the execution of the first martyr of the church. Saul has letters to go persecute and basically throw anyone in jail and haul them back to Jerusalem for trial if he finds out they're part of the way, part of those followers of Jesus. If there is somebody who is undeserving of divine revelation, it's Paul. Paul will say that about himself. He'll say that he is the least among the followers of Christ. He'll say that he was the greatest sinner. So guess what? Revelation doesn't come because we're worthy. It comes because of who God is and what God wants to show us and what God wants to do. Ultimately, revelation comes down to this. Obedience. All those people who are the Elon Musks of the world and And those folks who have a vision of the future and and take all that they have and all their energy and their resource and everything they have and plow that towards a vision and plow that towards their ideas of what the world should be like. When God shows up and pours and gives a vision to us, when he reveals something of who he is or gives us some direction about what we should be doing, what he's really longing for is for us to say yes. Okay, Lord what I have, what I am, who I am, okay. Yes, I'll go do it. That's exactly what Paul does. Paul begins to, this radical change takes place on the road to Damascus, and now Paul's life has been completely reoriented, completely turned around. Within days, Paul is out on the streets telling people and proclaiming Jesus, not just saying that I had this encounter with Jesus, but actually then taking the Scriptures and, and, and showing people how Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, within days, he's out on the street doing the very thing he was out there going to arrest people for. But it didn't just stop there. The reason, part of the thing is, he recounts this over and over three different times in the book of Acts. The last time he recounts it is right towards the end of the book, and Paul is standing before Agrippa the king. And he's explaining to Agrippa and getting ready to go to to Caesar to explain to Caesar, but he's explaining to to Agrippa and he's telling him about this divine encounter that he had on the road. He's telling him that not only did God speak to him there, not only did He call him and, and tell him that he was going in the wrong direction, that he was persecuting him, But he told Paul also that he would be sent to the Gentiles and to the nations of the world. And then Paul says this to King Agrippa. He says, I was obedient to the heavenly vision. Paul's coming to the end of his life, towards the sort of last chapters of his life, and he's standing before King Agrippa, and he's saying these words, I was obedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, I took everything I had Everything that I was, and I began to reorient myself to the divine revelation that God had given me. And to this day, I've been obedient to do the things that God's called me to do. That's God's invitation to us. When He reveals Himself to us. I've never been knocked off a horse. (laughs) Never had a bright light shone never had a voice out of heaven speak and that sort of thing but I have sort of had some moments sometimes they've been just sort of quiet moments in prayer sometimes it was through the words of somebody else speaking and all of a sudden in that moment of them speaking I just knew that God was speaking I knew that he was saying something to me I remember one day on a plane, just sitting there. I didn't even have an aisle seat. I'm a big guy. I like an aisle seat. (laughs) I was up against the window. I'm on a plane. And all of a sudden, I just feel like the Lord just started showing me things, speaking to me, giving me direction, divine revelation. My guess is most of us in this room, in some way, shape, or form, Maybe not just amazingly crazy, <laughs> but maybe small or maybe somewhere in between. I've had moments where you just knew. You just knew that God was there. You just knew that he was saying something to you. You just knew something was happening inside of your heart. You just knew that those words weren't just words, but they were meant something to you. My guess is that most of us here have had some kind of encounter with divine revelation and a heavenly vision. And the question is, are we being obedient to it? Are we ordering our lives based on the things that God showed us? Paul radically, radically impacts the future of the history of the world because he believed in the vision. He believed that it was God behind him, and he followed after it. We don't get to conjure it up. We don't get the opportunity to say, God, we need a vision right now. (laughs) But we do have the opportunity to remain open, to keep our ears tuned in, to look sometimes in the small things where God, he might actually be speaking to us. And then he always gives us the opportunity to respond. Sometimes my first response is, "Mm, not so quick. (laughs) But God's gracious to say, no, come on. I really have something. Will you be obedient? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you still speak. Lord, today we just want to say we want to have ears that are open and eyes that are open, hearts that are open, ready to receive your revelation. When we read this story of Paul, it's not just a story that happened long ago, but Lord, it's that you have a living church and you're still speaking to us today. You're speaking to us corporately. You're speaking to us individually. And Lord, we need ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts ready to understand. And then, Lord, most of all, we need the courage to say yes, the courage to obey. I just want to give a moment to just be still and quiet. Maybe be that for some of you the Lord wants to speak something to you right now. For others it may be a moment to reflect and to remember a time and a thing that the Lord has spoken to you in the past. For others it might be a recognition that something that you didn't realize before had been God speaking to you was actually him speaking. And something's just clicked with you today that that actually might have been the Lord. Let's just give a moment to be still and quiet for a moment. Lord, we thank you you still speak Lord help us to be obedient Lord give us courage to reorient our lives based on the revelation that you've given to us and Lord may we be a people driven by a passion a passion for you passion coming from what you've shown to us and what you've revealed to us a passion that comes because we're a people who encounter you we long for those encounters but Lord I know even more than that you long for us to be obedient and walk in those things which you showed us make us strong and give us courage amen